Thank you for joining in for this City Lights Church podcast. We're a new church in the north of Brisbane, and you can find out more about us at www.citylights.community. We hope that this podcast encourages you in your journey of following Jesus. So good. Can you believe that it's March already? This year is flying by and uh, we've got Easter coming up soon. I'm going to talk about that a little bit later. But today we're going to uh, be finishing for now our series called Tables and Altars. I don't know about you, but most of us, when we walk into a room, we can sense a vibe or an atmosphere in that room. Who, who has experienced that at one time or another in life? You walk into a room and you're like, oh, this, this, this feels really warm or oh, there's, there's excitement here. And sometimes, unfortunately, the opposite, like this is icky. This is like, I don't like this at all. And what we're talking about is that atmosphere, that experience has actually been built we have the power to influence our environments. I remember a couple of years ago, we sold our house and um, the people that bought it, the real estate agent told us when they walked in, the first thing they said was, wow, this place is peaceful, right? Now, that's not an accident. That, That was peaceful because for us as a family, we welcome the peace of God and also we deal with stuff. If there's not peace, if there's not love in our hearts, we, we deal with that. We bring it to God. And so for many of us, we notice atmospheres, we experience atmospheres. But what we're talking about in this series, how do we actually influence them? How do we create atmospheres and environments of peace and of community and of the presence of God. So, altars and tables, tables and altars. Uh, we've got a couple of uh, messages that we've done to lay the groundwork for this. And if you are listening on podcast, you should probably press pause and go back to the previous series. Or if you're in the room and you want to catch up on those, you can. But we've been talking for the last two weeks about altars. Now, altars are places and spaces of encounter and devotion. Places and spaces of encounter and devotion. And today we're talking about tables and tables are places and spaces of authentic community. And these are two environments, places and spaces that God has called us to build and the the product of those will be peace in our lives, in our inner being, will be peace in our homes, will be joy, will be life, will actually things that are broken will be restored by the power of God. And that's very, very exciting. So what we're talking about is that we need to embrace both the idea of tables and altars to create compelling environments of transformation, life-giving spaces of renewal. And I want to share something that I personally have never noticed before in this scripture. 
as I was studying and, and reading this week, I was just absolutely fascinated because the idea of tables and altars are quite a prevalent theme, Old Testament to New, in the Bible. And I'd never noticed this before, but in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, the Bible describes, and the author of Hebrews, we don't know who that is, describes two mountains, and one of them represents altars, and the other represents a table. In Hebrews chapter 12, 18, it describes Mount Sinai. Now, Mount Sinai was the scene where Moses goes up and receives the covenant, the Ten Commandments, has this encounter with God. It's awesome. It is a place where God is described as consuming fire. It says this place is so holy that you shouldn't even touch the mountain until it's time. And Moses goes up to this altar, this national altar, this significant place for the whole nation of Israel as they're forming as a nation. And he goes up and he encounters the presence of God and he sets a course for a whole nation to be devoted to God. It's such a cool picture. But what happens in the next verse, it then talks about a different mountain and that mountain is Mount Zion. And here's what it says about Mount Zion. Mount Zion is a place of joy, a place of celebration. Mount Zion is a party. Mount Zion is the city of God where angels are, in, are enjoying themselves. They're partying and we are invited into this community. And it's such a wonderful picture of the two, the altar, Mount Zion, and the table, Mount, sorry, the altar, Mount Sinai, and the table, Mount Zion. There's a giant feast in Mount Zion. It says that in Revelation 19. And there are thousands and thousands of angels. Jesus lives there. God lives there. And there's this apparent paradox where the altar represents the fear of God, the fire of God, and the table represents the love of God, friendship with God. And as I said, it's an apparent paradox. Sometimes we, we can't figure out, like, is, is God like fire or is he friendship? Should we fear him or is he family? And there's this tension that some of us from time to time, we struggle with. But today I want to talk about the connection and the connection is clear. Our encounter with God and our commitment to God has everything to do with our relationship to one another. Christianity does have an upward dimension and it has an outward dimension and those two are deeply connected. And at the heart of that is our view of God. Now today in this place and those listening online, do you have a big view of God? Do you see God as mighty, as holy, as powerful, as worthy of worship? Is that your view? Is that your understanding of God? And if we understand that God is both a consuming fire in Mount Sinai 
and the consuming love of Mount Zion, how should we live that out? If God is both of those things, how should we treat people? Because of our encounter with God, what is my obligation to you and what is your obligation to me? An obligation of love, right? Not of forced or, or, or rules. What should we be known for? I don't know if you've ever bought an app off the app store. Maybe we've got some iPhone people here. If you're an iPhone person, give me a wave. If you're an Android person, there's some really loyal Android people. It, can I be honest? It bothers me, all right? <laughs> that has nothing to do with the Bible. It's probably something I'll have to deal with later. So I'm an iPhone guy, all right? I'll do a separate sermon series on that later in the year, probably in winter. But when you go to the app store, whether it's Android or iPhone, you have different versions of the apps. And so often you're going to the app version at the app store and there's like the paid version and then the free version. And for most of you like me, I'm a little frugal with things. I'm like, okay, I'm going to get the light version. Guess what? It's free. That's why I'm going to get it. Now, it's free, but you lose some functionality. You, it, when you purchase the light version of something, they deliberately limit the things that it was designed for in order to get you to pay for it. But sometimes when we start using the, the light version, for some of us, like we're okay with it, but at times we can get frustrated with it and abandon it because it's not working the way that it intended. Do you know, in a slightly different way, that's sometimes what we can do with Christianity. We can settle for a light version. We can settle for a version that doesn't cost us anything, but it doesn't operate in the way that it was intended. And this is deeply challenging, but this is what it means to follow Jesus. But gosh, it's very rewarding. It's very fulfilling. But it requires something a little bit different of us. And for some of us, we have a version of Christianity that leans towards one way. Some of us, we have a version of Christianity that leans towards God's consuming love. God loves me. He's my mate. I can do whatever I want because he loves me. It's all by His grace. It is true. It is all by His grace. Salvation is a free gift. It's not about works. For others, lean to the fear and the fire of God, but they can express that in a way that it's all about rules. It's all about pleasing God. And that's not true either. And for some of us, we don't, we've never comprehended what it lives to live under the fear of God, which I'm defining as the authority and priority of God. The authority and priority of God. When you live under the authority and priority of God, it is the greatest adventure of your life. Because God calls you to do things and to step out in obedience to things that you usually wouldn't do. To be generous to people, to share your faith with people. And the result is miraculous. Now, sometimes we wouldn't do that because we're afraid of people. Or we, oh, what are they going to think? Or if I give this away, am I going to have enough? But I want to say that when we do that, man, that's so exciting. That is an adventure of a lifetime. Just one thing. And so we've got to embrace both. We've got to see God both as consuming fire and consuming love. 
and live upward and outward in that way. And that's what tables and altars is all about. This is a fascinating picture of Scripture as we uh, continue the last part of Hebrews 12 and the first part of Hebrews 13, which is what we're going to dive into today. It says, Hebrews 12, 28, Since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by worshipping Him with holy fear and awe. For our God is a devouring fire. Okay, that's a pretty good illustration, definition of what it means to be an altar. You come to God and you say, God, you're God, I'm not. I'm going to worship you, not because it suits me, but because you are worthy. You are a greater, higher being. Your presence is so valuable in my life. Now, for some of us, that's a journey, right? And so I want to encourage you to take steps towards that, towards opening your heart and your life and your home to prayer, to worship, to connect with God. But watch the transition here. So that's the altar. Watch the transition here, Hebrews 13.1. It says, keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters. See the transition? We're moving into the table. Don't forget to show hospitality to strangers, for some who have done this have entertained angels without realizing it. Okay, So in Hebrews, they're digging into some of the Old Testament stories about hospitality and about angelic visitation. Remember those in prison as if you were there yourself. Remember also those being mistreated as if you felt their pain in your own bodies. And this second part in Hebrews 13 is what we're going to focus on. And the question is, how can we create compelling environments of authentic community that will allow us to reach people in our city? That's what we're talking about today. Now, the Bible describes Christians as being invited into the family of God. What happens when you become a Jesus follower? What happens when you say, hey, Jesus, I'm not good enough out of my own strength and my own actions, even on my best day, that is not enough to have relationship with you and eternity with you. So I invite you into my heart. When we do that, immediately what happens is we become part of the family of God. This is what it says in Ephesians 2, 19. Now you are no longer strangers to God and foreigners to heaven, but you are members of God's very own family, citizens of God's country, and you belong in God's household with every other Christian. Now this is good news because part of the family of God, we have access to all the inheritance of God our Father. We also have a path laid out for us which we can adopt the, uh, the culture of our new family and we can reject the dysfunction of our previous family, right? So this is what this enables. This is what I talked about last week because not all of us have had good families. And so we go into this thing and then it's like, awesome, we are now part of God's family, But quickly being part of God's family, we run into an issue. Do you know what that issue is? Other people. 
So the, in God's family, the God part is pretty awesome, but the other people part is not as awesome. Am I speaking the truth? Is anyone actually in a real-life family? Does anyone actually have like a real-life brother and sister? And like maybe you're like, nah, we're sweet all the time. We're just, it's harmony, man. There's a, there's a nice vibe. If you're in family, I'll bet that some of your best relationships and biggest fights are wrapped up in one. But when we come into the family of God, we can go from awesome to awkward. And when we come into community like this, we can go from fresh to frayed, from fresh to fighting, from fresh to more frozen than Elsa. We can come and this, there is this change that can happen where we start to get on each other's nerves. Or is that just me? And this passage is saying this. If we're going to create compelling environments of authentic community, we have to get along. And that takes some work. That takes some commitment. And the first thing that we've got to do is establish that as a goal. So like, we, what if we like invited a whole bunch of people in here and they walk in here and they can sense that we just don't like each other? Or they say, oh, hey, like, have you met that person? And he's like, no, I don't talk to that person. No. And maybe you've been in a family environment or a workplace or another type of environment where you've got to kind of navigate this kind of complex system of relationships. Maybe this, this uncle doesn't talk to that person because of something that had fift- happened 15 years ago. Right? This is real life stuff, right? It's easy. It happens pretty easily. And Jesus says this, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Come to church. Come become a Christian. It's amazing. We're full of love. Except for this person. He's a jerk. They're annoying. And so there is this commitment that is an ongoing commitment. And here's what the the Bible says. Keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters. Keep on. And other translations, very similar. Continue. Starting a relationship is pretty easy for most people. Continuing in health, that's a little bit more difficult. Also, not always possible. This is true. But it says, keep on loving each other's as brothers and sisters. So we're talking about creating tables, places of authentic community. And that authenticity is not, you know, there's a type of authenticity where someone just like bleeds on you and just tells you all their problems. Like it's okay to be vulnerable, right? But the authenticity is we are committed to being like Jesus. We are authentic to Jesus, not necessarily authentic to ourselves. Does that make sense? Like, yeah, we're, we're on a journey. We, do, we don't put a mask on, but it's like, oh, yeah, I, I've got some problems, but I, I'm heading towards Jesus. I want to look like Jesus. I want to look like God's family. 
And so we create tables, this is my first point, when we act like healthy and loving family. This is when this is how we're going to create tables, spaces of authentic community where, where people are going to come into atmospheres of life and joy. Because these people, they're going to come, these people genuinely love each other. Do you know why we would do that? Because in doing that, we imitate God Himself. Do you know God just didn't create community? God is community. God is three in one, Father, Son, and Spirit, eternally existing. So we're actually invited into this beautiful, loving relationship that existed outside of time. And we step into that. And not only that, but we step into the power for that. We step into the example of Jesus for that. And we imitate God's love revealed in Jesus. Now, it's always a challenge. And there's a couple of things. People get on our nerves. We haven't always had the, good, the best examples. Sometimes we would say, I don't know how to love that person. I want to be kind to them, but I don't know how. And this is why the interaction between the altar, a place of encounter and devotion, where we get before God and say, God, this person's ticking me off. What should I do about it? And he says, you should forgive them. And you're like, no. What, what else have you got? <laughs> got a plan B. Can you strike them from the place, face of the planet? And he's like, no, you've you got to say sorry. Say sorry. I'm not saying sorry. They should say sorry. And this is what God does. You know, the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 4.9, but we don't need to write this is the Apostle Paul, to you about the importance of loving each other. For God himself has taught you to love one another. If you get into week one, a place of encounter and devotion, just you and God, God will teach you how to love yourself and how to love others. As you begin to pray and open the Bible, you will be transformed. I guarantee you, it may not happen overnight, but it definitely will happen as you are transformed. God will give you power to love yourself and power to love those around you. Now, the New Testament, we've talked about this before, the primary command of the early church in the New Testament is to, we would say, one another, one another. They are relational commands. There's about a hundred of them. Here's what it says. You should forgive them. You should bear with them. You should serve them. You should serve one another. You should humble yourself. And so we see this pattern for living that we can start to act like a healthy and loving family. Now, this is what makes church really unique because we've got an environment unlike many others or I'd say even any other where we've got people of all generations and ages coming together for the purpose of being like Jesus, worshipping God, reaching out to others, sharing what we have with our city. And we, this is possible because God's love lives within us and we have access to the power to get along with each other. That's the first point. Second scripture here, it says, Don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. For some who have done this have entertained angels without 
realizing it. And the second point is this. We create tables when we open our hearts and homes for hospitality as a divine duty. Hospitality is a divine duty. Hospitality is a spiritual act. It's something that goes beyond ourselves. Now, here's what we need to understand, that hospitality is not just food. I would say food is a big part of it. In our household, I'm not that good at the food part. And Beck helps with that when we have people over, right? But at its core, hospitality is this. Hospitality is relational generosity. Hospitality is something that I have space in my heart. I have, I'm making some room for other people. And that's what hospitality is in its heart. It's a giving of ourselves. It's making room in our heart that it overflows to our time, our schedule, to our finances, to our priorities, that we say, okay, there's someone, this person, maybe hospitality, maybe I could encourage them. Maybe I actually need some encouragement myself, but I could go out of my way to encourage that person. This is hospitality. And hospitality is what connects people to each other. I know this is pretty simple, right? But we don't talk about it as often. Hospitality is what connects people deeply to each other. An open heart which overflows into our actions. Now, the church that um, um, my dad actually pastored in, my beautiful wife got saved in when she was, came to, to follow Jesus when she was about 21. So that church... Um, they recently um, have a new pastor that has taken over the leadership of that church. And he was a friend of ours. And so I actually met him. I hadn't seen him for a number of years. And um, we were just chatting. We were at a, a church conference together. And he was recently asked, when he first came to the church, what was the moment, that church that he's now leading, he's now the senior pastor of, lead pastor, what was the moment that he said, this is my church, I'm in? And he told us that actually it was a time that Beck and I invited him to our house. We had, uh, when we got married, we saved our money. We borrowed some money from both of our parents. We bought a little house um, in the suburbs of Sydney, not a particularly, uh, it was okay, um, in one of those very generic suburbs, um, little house, little dining room. Actually, the table filled up the whole room. And he said, you invited me over for tandoori chicken and to watch the footy. And I'm like, I don't remember, but that sounds good. <laughs> and that small act, not about me, God was working something, was a catalyst for a connection which then by his faithfulness and the work of God grew into something greater. And as a church, we can't underestimate the fact that his hospitality is a spiritual act which connects people like nothing else. You know, the early church was known as a community of hospitality. In the New Testament, the scriptures pl place a high premium on hospitality. The Apostle Paul says this, share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. 
The Apostle Peter says this, Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Darn. I thought it'd be enough. I can't complain about it. When the Apostle Paul was training pastors and leaders, including Timothy, he emphasized it so much that no one would ever think of a Christian leader being someone who doesn't practice hospitality. It says, now the overseer, or the elder, the leader, Christian leader, must be above reproach, self-controlled, respectable, and hospitable. Now, of course, there are barriers to us practicing hospitality, of course. And for some of us, we live busy lives. The pace of life, for many of us, keeps getting busier and busier. And for others of us, there is often a some kind of, uh, there's a time element. Sometimes there's a, a financial element to that. For others of us, there is an insecurity. If we're honest, that sometimes we're like, oh, if I invited somebody, what if they said no? Or if I connected with them, what if they didn't like me? Or if I invited to my house and my house is not that nice, or if I made a meal and it wasn't that good because I watch MasterChef and The Block and my food and my house doesn't look like that. And these are barriers that can come up, and let's call it what it is, that's pride, a form of pride where you minimize yourself, that's still pride, where you make yourself less than others. It's just the flip side of pride. And these are some of the things that you and I, we're going to have to work out how to get over in order to be the type of Jesus community that God wants us to be and that our city needs. The table is built through the practice of hospitality. Do you know every Sunday we are not putting on a church service? We're actually building a table. That's what we're doing. All these people, we've got so many, we're blessed with so many faithful and generous servants. People that come and serve you and I. And we serve each other. And you know what we're doing? We're not just putting on a service so people come. We actually want to create a place and a space of authentic community and our hospitality is an act of service to Jesus and to one another. You know, we have what I would say early on, free food and free coffee. It's not free. Someone else just bought it for you. It's a gift. It's not manna from heaven, those that know that story. But as a church, we've decided that, man, like, what connects people? Coffee. Can I get an amen? Yeah, come on. Food. Because we want this place to be a table. We want you to connect with each other. Build lifelong friendships over time. Not with everybody. It's not possible, but with somebody. And that's our goal. But this Sunday, it's, it's a starting point. And by the grace of God, we hope to see that spill over into meals together. Commitment to connect groups, gathering, eating together, praying together, supporting each other. That's our vision. Our vision is tables, not meetings. 
places of authentic community where we can become like Jesus together. And this is very exciting. Third point here. We create tables when we welcome new people into our lives. Now, the, the Bible says, show hospitality to strangers. I didn't use strangers because strangers rhymes with danger. We're not having a, in a few weeks, we've got our new people's lunch. We decided against calling it our strangers lunch. Doesn't quite have the same ring to it, right? Come to our strangers lunch. No, thanks. I'm just going to back away quietly into the bush here, into the uh, shrubs. But do you know, like, pretty much for me, I'd probably say, like, 95% of the people here, I didn't really know two to three years ago, right? And you're awesome. And I'm glad that we took the time to get to know each other. So in a way, you were unknown or strangers, even though the word is, it does rhyme with danger. But there is an element where we have to have capacity for new people in our lives. And that takes a bit of risk, doesn't it? And it's like, oh, what if they don't like me or what if I don't like them? Impossible. Not true. But all of your meaningful relationships were strangers at one time, even the little baby that you held in your hand, you got to meet them for the first time and you're like, hello, stranger. And then they grow and grow and eat lots of food, take up a lot of your time. But there is this idea that we need to continue to make space for people. That takes a little bit of risk. That takes a little bit of time. That takes a little bit of investment. That takes a commitment. So that I could make room in my heart for you and then I could open my heart and then we could have time where we could connect, time that we could pray, time that we could have fun and laugh and and eat and drink coffee. And to do that, we need to be people who have relational initiative. People who say, hey, I'm going to be the one to invite this person. I'm going to, I'm going to go out. I'm, do you want to grab a coffee? Do you, want to, do you want to have lunch? This is something that for us to do what God has called us to do is not just like a leadership thing, but it's a cultural thing. It's something that we do together and embrace. All right, the last point. Number four, but uh, let's read this scripture. Remember those in prison as if you were there yourself. Remember also those being mistreated as if you felt their pain in your own bodies. Now we create tables, this fourth one here, is when we help the hurting. We create tables when we help the hurting. There's this idea at its core in that scripture that one of the things that we need to have is empathy for each other. Now, if my life's going pretty good, but your life, 
you've got some things and all of us have different challenges in different situations, right? Then I've got to connect with some of your pain in a way that motivates me to help you. And that's what it means to be part of Christian community and authentic community is that we help the hurting. You know, one of the iconic stories of Jesus, the parables of Jesus, uh, we read this in the, the book of Luke, is the parable of the Good Samaritan. Who's heard of that parable? Many of us have. And so the Good Samaritan is a story of an unlikely hero because the Samaritans and the Jews hated each other. Okay, that had a long history of disharmony and discord. And so we see this uh, person has been robbed and beaten and the person to stop and help them is not the, the temple guy, not the Jewish guy, but it's this Samaritan, this stranger. And what does he do? He bandages him. He fixes him up. He puts him on his donkey. He clothes him. He takes him to an inn. And he pays the innkeeper to look after him. Do you know that particular story is so powerful that it has been the basis for much of the charitable work and the hospital work in the, around the world? That particular idea that we should share our resources and help people who are vulnerable and who need help? And this is also a beautiful picture of the church. Do you know the church is not a museum displaying perfect people? Okay. Because you're here. And I'm here. But the church is a hospital in the traditional sense of the word, right? It's a place of hospitality and restoration. The church is a place where you can come as you are and by the grace of God, through friendship, through the presence of God, you can be healed, you can be restored, you can be strengthened, you can be energized. We're not just coming here to be a room of sick people, but we're coming here to be generous, to be hospitable and to see the restoration work of God in our lives. And this is so refreshing. One of the reasons that it's refreshing is that we can come as we are. Whether or not you're on top of the world, and you do have seasons, many of us have seasons where things are going really well for you, or where you're going through quite a low season and a difficult patch in your life. As a church, we are committing to be a place of hospitality and restoration. Isn't that good? So four things to create tables. We need to act like healthy and loving family. We need to open our hearts and homes for hospitality as a divine duty. The third is we need to welcome new people in our lives. And the fourth is we need to help the hurting. Think about it for a moment. What difference would that make? How many places in our city are like that. Most places want to take something from you, right? But what about a place where we came with a purpose to give? The first thing that we give is ourselves. 
How are you going? Happy to see you. Here's a cup of coffee that someone else bought for you because they think you're awesome. Hey, are you going through a difficult thing? Could we help you? Could we pray for you? Do you have a financial need? We want to help you out with that. That is the type of community which is compelling. It's also costly. It's also costly. It's not the type of community where we come in, we sit in a seat on Sunday and then we get up and leave. You might be in seasons where that's the best that you can manage. And if you've just come here and it's taken all your energy just to be here, I want to congratulate you for that. As a church, we want to tap into the resources of heaven so we can begin to live and act and share like Jesus. We can embody the love of Jesus, the forgiveness of Jesus, the healing of Jesus, what we've been singing about, what we've been praying about. And that is our goal. I want to take just two minutes to talk to you about something, then we'll be done. Uh, Easter's coming up in about a month, right? And we have an incredible opportunity this Easter. Why is Easter such an incredible opportunity? Because people who don't usually go to church are open to coming to church at Easter. You agree? Yeah. And so with that natural momentum that still exists in our society, as a church, we want to get ready, listen to this, to set a table for people this Easter. We want to get ready to open our church as a place of authentic community as a place of joy, as a place of celebration, as a place of reflection on the work of Jesus. And we, that's our heart. And so um, we're preparing to do that. Let me give you a little bit of an overview of the weekend. So Good Friday, we're doing our first ever Good Friday church uh, church service, 9 to 10 a.m. And uh, we're just, for those that didn't know, just a new church. We'll be doing that here. By the grace of God, the venue has allowed us to leave the chairs out. And so we're going to set that up on the Thursday night. You're all going to be invited to that. We're going to have a set-up party and prayer. Probably some donuts or something like that. Because we have a lot of food here. Then Easter Sunday, 10.15 a.m. So as a church, we're inviting you not just to come, but to help us set the table. We're inviting you to go out of your way to invite somebody, to pray for them, to prepare for them, to be part of of serving on that weekend. And we believe that when we do, we'll be able to expand and to grow our table and our community. So I want to direct you to two things here. One, we've got this uh, card here. It says you're invited to Easter. It's very literal. It's an invitation. And it tells you the time. So we're going to give you uh, some of those that you can uh, take uh, in just a minute. And the second one that looks similar is a card that says on the back, For the One. And so uh, if you call City Lights your church, we're encouraging you to take one 
and to pray about someone to invite and to say, God, who could I invite? And then pray for that person. And I think that'll be a really, really powerful and wonderful thing. And then you're going to take one of those invites and invite that person. Why don't you stand to your feet? The team's going to give you uh, one of these invitations right now. And then we're going to pray and close for today. Isn't that good? Yeah, thank you. This is exciting. This is what it means to open a life. Open your life. This is what it means to embrace the full functionality of the Christian life. So they're just continuing to hand those out. Then we're going to pray together. Awesome. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for the opportunity to be the type of church that we read about in the Bible. Lord, to to have open hearts to people. And Lord, I even know that that thought is difficult because of hurt, maybe even sometimes hurt from relationships, maybe even sometimes hurt from churches, things that have happened, different environments. But God, we're not doing this on our own strength. We're doing this because you empower us and you power us to do this. Lord, we pray right now for the presence of the Holy Spirit to join hearts for the Spirit of God just to rest on this place. Even right now, the Holy Spirit is in this place. He's moving. He's saying, I'm giving you power. I'm giving you power for forgiveness. I'm giving you joy. I'm giving you life. And so God, we thank you and we honour you. God, we love you so much. We're so excited to live out your love in our lives. Lord, we commit Easter to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. You can find out more about City Lights Church at www.citylights.community.